Thanks for tuning in to Big Money in the 805. I'm Michael Anderson, and today we have David Cook, author of best-selling book, Golf's Sacred Journey. It's a fantastic book. He talks about life lessons and golf, and it's going to be a wonderful 30 minutes. As always, we hope to make the next 30 minutes a very good investment of your time. Today's show is brought to you by GEICO Local Office, car and homeowner's insurance for the 805. You could save up to 15%. Call Greg Mock of GEICO Local Office, 805-487-7847. It's time for Big Money in the 805 with your host, Michael Anderson, bringing you a feature interview, a local nonprofit spotlight, and some financial wisdom. Get local and relevant information for the 805. For show notes and more information, go to maranatha.com. And now here's your host, Michael Anderson. We have David Cook, author, speaker, and mental trainer. He has worked with NBA World Champions, National Collegiate Champions, PGA Tour Champions, Olympians, and many Fortune 500 companies. He's the author of best-selling book, Golf's Sacred Journey. He and his wife, Karen, have been married for over 35 years. They have two daughters. They live in the hill country of Texas. David, thank you for joining us on the program today. Yeah, it's a long way from where you guys are, but uh, I'm glad to be on. Thank you. Well, we're talking about your book, Golf's Sacred Journey. This was a fantastic book. There's also a movie that has Robert Duvall in it. Uh, Haven't seen the movie yet. I did enjoy the book. Now there's a second book that's just been re-released, Golf's Sacred Journey, the sequel. I look forward to reading that soon. Get more information about the books online. You can also check out the website, linksofutopia.com. But before we get into the book, I want to ask you about your work in sports psychology. So maybe you can share with us some of the work you've done with athletes. Many sports are more than a physical game now, but are in large part a mental game. So share with us how you help top athletes with the mental side of their game. You know, when I was a kid, I played all the sports and just realized that the best players didn't always win on game day. And game day just became sort of a a topic of study for me. I just wanted to know, what does a person have to do to elevate their game on game day? You know, when all the interference, when the score is posted, when when uh, people are watching, when it means something, you know. And so sort of, I guess, all my writing, books, and teaching kind of come down to this point. How do you play your best when it means the most? So um, I really focus on game day and try to teach people how to think in such a way that they win the inner game. you got to win the inner game before you can win the outer game. And, and uh, you can have all the skills in the world. You can have... Gosh, you can have a great resume, but in business and sport on game day, when you have to when you have to perform in the face of adversity and interference, um, when people are watching, when there's things on the line, when there's high expectations, I tell you, you got to win the mental game first so that everything else comes together. Otherwise, it's just you know you tear the resume up, throw it in the trash can. Now we've had some athletes on the program, and it you know sports are such a microcosm for life. What you learn in sports uh, playing, you, you kind of end up seeing as an adult and throughout life playing out and relate that to sports. And I think that's part of why we love sports so much. Many times the emotions of sports play a big role in performance, and I think that's what you're talking about. I want to ask you a question about how we should teach young athletes about being mentally strong. Well, first of all, young athletes need to learn to enjoy the game for itself and to be put under pressure to have to score in front of people before they really have the skills to be able to do it is just insanity. But we, we kind of do that. You know, we, 
We throw, we give him a uniform, some nice shoes. We put the scoreboard up. Put some guy that looks like a zebra out there with a whistle around his neck, blowing the whistle at him, and you know, and and tell him to go do it. And and um, and they've only had a few practices. I really believe that the skill training has just really got to be emphasized early on. And then in the midst of that skill training, what we've got to be able to do is teach kids. You know, once they have the skills, then we throw in a little interference here and there. And slowly add that pressure so that they they have to they have to perform when you know when their mind is being you know attacked or taken in a different direction and then allow them to be able to learn to be able to perform those skills when there's distractions all around them then create these things called games and then um, competition but golly we put them in a competition so early before they're really mentally ready. And uh, that's just a travesty because a lot of kids will drop out because of bad experiences and, you know, falling apart. Not because they're mentally weak. It's because they don't have the information that, you know, I'm talking about in these books or you and I are talking about today. I've heard that so many times. Oftentimes the kids will say the ride home with dad was harder than the game and the loss. And there's something to be said about parents learning how to work with their kids through sports as well. But let's dive into your book now, and I absolutely love this book. We're talking with author David Cook. He wrote the book, best-selling book, Golf's Sacred Journey. And you can get a copy online, also at linksofutopia.com. I first want to read the quote. This is by David Robinson, a former NBA MVP and also two-time world champion. He talks about this book, and he says, The same truths I learned from David on the court are entrenched in this moving story of a young golfer who finds his purpose at the links of utopia. The book is full of wisdom that will enhance your game, and I believe it just may change your life. Very powerful quote there from David Robinson, a former NBA MVP. And I'll tell you, I agree with this quote. I thought the book was full of golf lessons and life lessons and uh, just a wonderful book. So job well done there, uh, Golf's Sacred Journey. How did you come up with the idea of writing this book? Give us the backstory, if you could. So, like I said, I grew up um, playing sports and just really being fascinated by the mental game. There wasn't anything called sports psychology back then. But um, as I graduated from college, this field became just began to emerge it was it was a secondary educate like a you know graduate school field so i went and studied under a guy named bob rotella who ended up being the foremost sports psychologist probably in the world especially in golf and um went and taught at the university of kansas after my phd i taught for 12 years and just you know worked with 20 teams there at ku including their national championship basketball and stuff um and just really found some information that I think would change people's lives. And that's the thing I just mentioned before. People aren't necessarily mentally weak. They just don't have the information. So I want to get the information in people's hands so that they can, they can perform well in life and in the games of life. And, um, uh, you know, so that, that's the reflection of, of how this book came together. It, it, I needed a story. I, I like word pictures better than, the, you know, one, twos and threes of, of how to do it. So, we had a ranch down in a little town of Utopia. It has about 300 people and no driving range. Just a just a, a town with no, you know, no stoplights, no stop signs, and uh, in the middle of nowhere. And this this old cowboy down there built a driving range next to the cemetery. And one day I went out there and just wow, this is the place. This this is the place that a story like this could be told. And I can bring all the the things that I teach athletes and coaches, and I could put them into a story form 
and create it out of this place called Utopia because I could look around and see. So it wasn't like I was making fiction up. This place exists. Thousands of people have made a, you know, made a trek down there just to see this place. Um, we have a place there called the Buried Lies Cemetery where people come and they take these labels that have been stuck around their neck for their entire life and they rip them off, you know, write them down on a piece of paper and grab the shovel there and bury these things to leave them behind forever and ever. And I, I know we've had more than a thousand people that have come there and done that. Um, and I've had 15,000 online that have sent their, their lives that they want me to bury there uh, in person. So we do that as well. Well, you get into but, that in the book, and I think that's part of it in the book where you talk about kind of we all carry these these lies or these things we've told ourselves that maybe are not true, but we carry them with us and they burden us and they bring us down and they pull from our conviction. They maybe don't allow us to compete to our full potential. And so burying those and, and going with the truths that are real truths that you have conviction about are what we want to take forward with us into competition. You really do portray that in a very creative and fun way in the book. I do want to ask you, I have a few excerpts from the book. So I want to talk to you about conviction. In the book, you have a, a wonderful story where this old rancher, Johnny, is asking this young golfer, Luke, about his grip. And he just wasn't real happy about Luke's response and, and how he grips the club the way he does and why he does it. And he has this quote. I want to read it from the book. He says, you know, you're fired. If you want to be a CEO of a potential multi-million dollar company, if you want to be rehired by the end of the day, you have to learn to answer your board of directors with a competent, well-thought-out answer to such a strategic and crucial question. If you want to lead a successful organization, you better build a bulletproof foundation for why you do what you do and how you do it, or you should hang it up right now. And I think what he's talking about there is just having conviction for the things that you do. As simple and, and mundane as a grip of a golf club, you need to know precisely why you do that. Share with us more what you're really saying there and why that's important. You know, Ben Hogan, he started his book by talking about how important the grip was. I mean, that's, you know, the whole performance starts with, you know, putting your hands on the golf club. And this kid just says, oh, I like it because it just feels good. <laughs> you know, it's like this kid wants to be a pro, which means there's potentially millions of dollars on the line here. And that's as good of an answer as he could give this guy. And it's like, you know, the, the teacher's going, are you serious? I mean, you, you would build, you know, if you were in the business world and, and, and you gave that kind of answer, you'd be fired right off the bat. Why don't you take more time and investigate and study and be critical as to why you do what you do so that when, when the time comes and the pressure comes, you don't cave in, but you go to your convictions. And so it was just a real cool lesson on conviction. I loved it in the movie. That's one of my favorite parts in the movie where Robert Duvall fired the kid and told him that he had no conviction. That was really, I love the way Robert Duvall, um, really deliver those lines in the movie as well. And you and you had a few beautiful things about conviction in the book too, talking about how every champion has convictions and the perennial champions that win all the time, they have a convictions based on this foundation. So you've already done the work, you know what why it is you do what you do, and that's what helps you and is the first line of defense when you're facing adversity. Uh, so I love how you get into that. Another part in the book, let's jump into this. You talk about fishing and fly fishing. Beautiful story in talking about the emotional balance and how that's as important as the physical balance. Talk to us about this story of fishing and emotional balance in sports. 
well, you know, one thing I like more than golf is fly fishing, and, and I can just remember early on learning it. You learn it, you kind of learn it out in a field where you can't really mess up, and you get the you get the rhythm down, you know, and it's like, wow, this is really cool. This is more of an art than really anything. And then you go to the water, and all of a sudden you see a fish, and everything changes. All you want to do is get that fly to the fish, and the next, you know, and so you change your rhythm, and you throw it, you know, you sort of throw it at the fish, and the, and the fly hits you in the back of the head. Because what's happened is the emotion of the fish is taking you out of your rhythm. It's taking you out of your game. And it's the same in life. It's the same in golf. It's when all of a sudden the score means something or, you know, you define whatever's in front of you as stressful. Then the emotions get involved and the rhythm changes. And when your rhythm changes, your sequence changes, the sequence changes, everything breaks down. Um, and I just thought for, for golfers that, you know, or, you know, in life, that was just a really cool way to look at how to stay in rhythm and in balance, which is which is the foundation of you know playing with confidence and freedom. You got to have freedom to be your best. We're talking with David Cook, author of best-selling book Golf's Sacred Journey, and I love golf, David. I'm a big golf fan. I'm a single-digit handicap. I'm a struggling golfer, always trying to be better. And but I love golf, and I love to watch golf, and I also love how you know there are just so many things in in life that relate to sports and golf and this example of emotional balance relates in so many other ways in work you get frustrated because you didn't close the deal or the prospects not calling back or your manager's bringing you down or you got to work a little later or you know emotionally you start to you know you have that mental toughness if you don't have it it'll break you down so it is a life lesson here it's not just sports but it's life it's such a, a nice job at bringing that together. I really, really enjoy that. I mean, this is one of those life lessons. I think it ties in outside of sport, but as a part of sport as well, it really ties together. You do that so beautifully. So kudos on that. Well, and thank I, you. Can, can I throw in please, something there? Please you know, do. What I, try to, I really tried to build on this in the, in the new book. I know you mentioned that in your introduction, but the, uh, the sequel came out um, about a month ago called A Golf Sacred Journey, the sequel, you know, just so people would understand it. It's really easy to see and get. Um, but what I did there is I created the hardest U.S. Open in the world, the hardest U.S. Open that you can imagine. I had a lot of fun as an author doing that. And the, the key line there that Johnny gave the kid in that is, you've got to have freedom in the chaos. And so in the sense is that at this U.S. Open, it's going to be the hardest because it's going to be hot, it's going to be windy, and they set the golf course up just the most diabolical way possible to really test these young people, not on just if they're a great golfer, but how mentally tough they are. And so it just talked about how people fell by the wayside because they did not have freedom in the chaos. And I like that term, and I, I introduced that term in this new book, and I think that's the, that's the key that, you know, most of the time when we perform, we don't get to choose the stage. We just we get invited into that stage every day. And I mean, there's there's chaos can be rocking all around us. And the issue is, can you and me can we stay calm and can we have freedom in the chaos? And when we can, then we know we've arrived. And that's what the great the great have always been able to do. That's beautiful because obviously when the stakes get higher. And when you're dealing with something that really means a lot, it's more than anything else. You know, sometimes we're not able to have that same freedom and looseness that uh, that we often experience when we're just playing and there are no stakes involved. It, there's not as much riding on it. 
I look forward to reading that book. I have not read that one yet, which is Golf's Sacred Journey, the sequel. You bring into art in this story about signing a masterpiece. I love a quote that you put in there. You talk about your muscles will hit the shot, but like a pilot in the fog, they can only respond to the information you send them. The most powerful information is an image, a picture. A good picture produces feel and feel produces trust. Talk to us about that. Well, you know, I, it's, it's like this. Uh, the eyes are the opening to the computer in the performance world, and, and you, get to either, you get to choose to see a masterpiece, as my first teacher in golf told me, or you get to choose to see a disaster. And, uh, and his name was Johnny Ariaga, and, I, and, and Robert Duvall actually played his part. And it, the book was loosely based on this guy. And uh, Johnny would say, you got a blank canvas before every shot. He said, son, I just choose, I just choose a masterpiece. He said, if, if you don't choose a masterpiece, you're going to spend your life dealing with a lot of figure outcomes. And I thought that was pretty good teaching. And uh, he asked me, what did, what did I see? And I said, well, I see the lake. I see the water. I see the weeds. I see the false run. I see the bunker. He goes, no, son, where do you see? What, where, where do you want the shot to go? And, and what do you want to have happen to it? He said, when you see that, then it, and it speaks to your body. Your body then can feel, and if you and if you see a masterpiece, it feels differently than if you see a disaster, because you will feel tight and doubt. You'll you'll feel fear if you see a disaster. He said, "So, life is about a choice. You get to make a choice before you hit the shot, before you perform." And I think that's why people, you know, have stage uh, stage fright. You know, performing in front of people because they 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 see themselves being disastrous in front of people and what that will mean instead of going after and choosing to love the audience and that they've got something of value to give. You know, it's just a different picture. I love that. And it, it really is uh, important in sports. But if you think about it, it's also so important in life. You know, you have some people that start the day thinking about all the bad things that are going to happen and hit them as opposed to trying to, you know, assume the best or assume what it could be in a positive way and go out and paint that picture. You know, so it really transcends sport and golf into life, and it's just so beautifully done. Moving on in the book, you talk about tradition versus truth and also excellence over acceptance. Two powerful thoughts to think about. You're talking about putting and uh, how we you, you see most common uh, the putting standing aside the ball, but in bowling or in darts or shooting free throws in basketball, People look at the target, and then it's a finesse or a feel shot. But in putting, also a finesse and feel shot, we're looking at the ball. Talk to us about putting and this idea of tradition over truth. Well, if you were going to, you know, I say, hey, th hey, throw me your keys, you know, just pull them out of your pocket, throw me your keys. You'd pull them out, you'd look at me, and you'd toss them to me underhanded. And so I needed a symbol in the book to talk about um, this topic of tradition versus truth. And so I was using putting as an example. Um, sometimes what happens, you know, even culturally or personally, is that we get caught up in the way it's been done for so long rather than why. Why has it been done that way? Is there a better way? And, um, and so and putting, you kind of you get side on. You kind of look at, the, you know, the, the hole with, you know, one eye is kind of closer to the hole than the other. And you have sort of have monovision. And then you look down at the ball, and you take the club back, and you're, you're trying to hit the ball to a picture. And there's no really reason to stand that way and to do that, except that that's the way the rest of golf is done. So I, I felt like, well, you know, if someone's going to just 
toss your keys looking at you, you know, with your hand going straight back and straight through, maybe there's some truth that that's an easier and a better way to putt. I call it face-on putting where you have binocular vision, where your arm works in a joint movement that goes straight back and straight through, not circular. Um, and so I, I created a method called Face on Putting and put it in the book, and I challenged the kid in the book, or the, the teacher did, you know, this makes more sense from a physics and a visual and a vision standpoint. Why wouldn't someone use it, you know, in, in golf? And, and it was basically because no one's ever done it that way, and you'd be, you'd, someone would say you're a fool if you tried something new. And uh, in the new book, you have to the new book you have to actually hit the golf a golf shot in a new way. And so I use it, you know, in terms of Pete Ogilvie was the first guy to kick kick the ball side on, and once he did it, everybody's done it since then. The Fosberry uh, uh, was the first guy to go over the high jump backwards, and after he did it, every world record since has been going over it backwards. But everybody thought it was stupid when he first did it somebody you know did a jump shot the forward pass for the first time and it changed both those sports chris everett was the first one in major competition to use two-handed backhand that changed that sport forever these were all you know they were all like i call them performance artists that were willing to go out and 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 buck tradition and to go for truth because there was something there was something better that's fascinating and that's going to be fun to watch to see how putting may change over time and this idea of tradition over truth. Another thing in the book you talk about, uh, which, which is great, the pilot's checklist and how it's important to have a process. Talk to us about process and the pilot's checklist. By the way, we're talking with David Cook. He is the author of Golf's Sacred Journey, best-selling book, and now there's a sequel, Golf's Sacred Journey, the sequel, and also there's a movie, uh, Golf's Sacred Journey. So, David, talk to us about the pilot's checklist and process all right and the movie was called seven days in utopia by the way the uh the pilot checklist came out when i grew up i was uh i i wanted to fly and you know when i was young i was 18 i learned to fly and you can't by law fly a plane until you around and do a checklist and make sure everything in the plane on the outside is is ready and then you get in and you go through an internal checklist and then you're mid the you know the plane's airworthy and then you take off you never do it by law, you have an external internal checklist. I'm thinking, okay, um, I'm you know about to enter a golf tournament or I'm about to hit a golf shot. Um, do I take it as seriously as a pilot would? Do I have the checklist? And what is my checklist? How do I put my mind in position? How do I put my body in position? How am I thinking correctly? Am I choosing the right the right thoughts? Am I putting myself in position to succeed or to fail? And so. We talk about creating a performance checklist so that you go through that every single time you perform, um, and it's powerful because what happens is your mind is louder on the checklist than the interference is loud coming in from the outside, and you you definitely want you want the good to, to be louder than the bad. David, is there anything else you'd like to add before we close the interview today? Well. Not really. I think I think what I did in there, people told me this was going to be sort of political suicide <laughs> on my career. But I felt like people are, are physical, mental, emotional, you know, and spiritual. So I threw a, I threw some I threw a few curves in there about the the kids' faith journey as well. And I think more people have responded to that almost than anything because they they appreciated that that someone had the guts to do that. So Hopefully the people listening and the readers will really enjoy that aspect as well. 
yeah, you tied it in very well. Definitely recommend this book. Anyone out there, please take a look online. Golf's Sacred Journey. It's a best-selling book and also the movie Seven Days in Utopia. David Cook is the author. He's joined us today. You can get more information online at linksofutopia.com. David, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much. God bless you, man. You guys have a great day out there in California. Hi, everyone. We're doing a summertime feature today, talking about events going on over the summer. And there's a lot of wonderful events coming up real soon here in Ventura County. There's one I want to highlight that I'm really excited about coming up July 21st and 22nd, and that is the Tequila and Tacos event here in Ventura. It's going to be taking place in downtown Ventura at Plaza Park on July 21st and 22nd from 1130 to 6 p.m. Now, they're going to have great food, also some tacos and tequila and beer if you want that. There's going to be access for that and music. They've done this a number of times. Always a lot of fun. It's only 10 bucks a ticket to get in. And if you want to do that sampling of tequila, it's an extra $40 for Saturday to do that. Good music, good fun right here in downtown Ventura. You can go to tequilaandtacos.com to learn more. Spence, anything you're excited about over the summertime and events coming up, what's on your radar? I'm going real close with this one. I love the Moore Park uh, 3rd of July celebration that's coming up, obviously, on Tuesday. It's the only 3rd of July fireworks show we have in this area, and it's spectacular. Uh, Congratulations to Moore Park for putting on such a good show. Then the next day, my little hometown of Fillmore, we have a car show that draws in some beautiful automobiles. So if you find yourself cruising around, you want to do a daytime thing, please come to Fillmore, and you are going to see some uh, fabulous cars on the 4th of July. And we do have fireworks there. Please do not take them out of city. You are only allowed to light those off (laughs) in Fillmore. That's right. And uh, summertime always is special. So if you're not traveling, you can find some exciting stuff to do right here locally. The Surf Rodeo coming up July 14th and 15th. Also, that street fair for the 4th of July, Push and Pull Parade, the fireworks, That's coming up, obviously, July 4th. They have the uh, Fiesta and Street Fair in Camarillo on the 19th and 20th of July. Uh, Also, the Salsa Festival, big in Oxnard, July 28th and 29th. So a lot of good stuff coming up right here in our hometown. Summer, always so fun. Boy, you got to take advantage of it. You got to have fun while you can, those long days. VenturaFireworks.com. You can get your tickets to the Ventura College Fireworks Show put on by the Ventura Rotary Club wonderful event community event raises a lot of money to go back into the community Um, another thing about that Spence you talk about not having things to do you know my mom used to tell me she says it takes a boring person to be bored here in Ventura there's just a lot you don't need an event to go have fun you can take a walk on the beach you can go ride your bicycle there's a number of fantastic bicycle trails and paths you know there's just things to do there's the hills there's hikes there's you know, there's just fun. It's very, there's a lot. There's a lot going on here. Yeah, each city, like in T.O., there's this Gardens of the World. I don't know if you've ever gone there. It's on I've not been there Boulevard. yet. It's, I'll tell you, bring your camera. Everybody's got a camera. It's so funny to say that these days. <laughs> if you have a real camera, bring it. It's beautiful. And you walk through for free. And it's on T.O. Boulevard. Just another thing where you could kill easily hour, two hours. How fun. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's beautiful. Every city has one. The Fish Hatchery in Fillmore. Come on. People do something. I'm going to have to look into doing more about highlighting some of these wonderful things we have. You know, the city of Oxnard, the city of Port Wyneme, Ojai, 
right there in Casitas, Fillmore, Santa Paula. So many wonderful things right here in each of these cities. They each have their own little gems, their little pearls that you need to participate in and discover. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of gold right here in this county of events and things to do, experiences to be had. You just got to dig a little bit. We have to channel our inner Huell Hauser. And I we love really it. do. We have to pay respects to that guy who is so creative on his shows, but base it on Ventura County. He is good. You know, Spence, we should do that. We should do some videos, get you on the video as the new Huel, and uh, I'll be your sidekick, and we can have a lot of fun doing videos of uh, the wonderful things to do here in Ventura County and beyond. So I uh, would encourage you to check that stuff out. Have a wonderful day today. Enjoy the summertime. And that does it for our show. Thanks for tuning in to Big Money in the 805. Big thanks to the team at Boyd & Associates providing home security to Southern California and Greg Mock from GEICO Local Office. If you have questions about the show or questions about your financial matters, you can always contact me online at marinantha.com. That's M-A-R-A-N-A-N-T-H-A.com. Or give me a call at 805-665-3767. Thanks for listening. Have a great week and join us again next time. Hi, this is Michael Anderson, Certified Financial Planner. I've dedicated the past 12 years to researching different investment ideas. There are no guarantees when investing, but with a little help, you can find the right approach. I have built AllocationLink.com specifically for you. AllocationLink.com is investment management made simple, smart, and low cost. AllocationLink.com can have your account set up in less than 10 minutes. Please visit AllocationLink.com to learn more. Or you can leave me a message at 805-665-3767. Do you ever question if your investments are right for you? Do you own any annuities, retirement accounts, or have other money you want help with? Have you ever wondered what your advisor is making or how they get paid? Get a free second opinion. Talk with Michael Anderson, Certified Financial Planner. Call his answering service today, 805-665-3767. Leave a message and get a call back immediately, 805-665-3767.